the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what soon must take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. very thankful that you are here this morning. And if you are watching online, I welcome you. And I think many are because I've gotten a lot of feedback across the country this past week. People excited about joining us for the study we begin today in the book of Revelation. Now, I must be honest. If you were to poll preachers and pastors, what book of the Bible would you least want to teach to your church? The clear winner would be the book of Revelation. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is if you just read your Bible casually, just looking for a verse every morning for a devotional thought, the book of Revelation can be very confusing. And so what's happened is that for many Christians, it has been functionally decanonized that most Christians have 65 books in their Bible and they just don't ever go into that last book because it just intimidates them and this is not a new thing Martin Luther never spoke about the book of Revelation the great reformer John Calvin wrote a commentary on every single book in the New Testament except the book of Revelation. And my guess is many of you have been Christians for a long, long time, gone to church all your life. And this might be the first series you've ever heard preached on the book of Revelation because it can be confusing. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I have read 20 books. I have spent hours in the last six months getting ready for this series because you can't approach Revelation flippantly. It takes diligent and serious study. And I hope I've done that and honored God with that. And not only that, but it's not just that the book can be confusing, but the book can be controversial. Because there are a lot of different ways to understand Revelation. And while most people just have 65 books in their Bible, there's always that one person who just has one book. And it's Revelation. And that's the only book he reads, and it's the only book he thinks about, and he has very strong convictions, and he lets you know them. And I've had a few encounters with people like that. About 15 years ago in Ohio, a pastor is teaching his church the book of Revelation, and one member so strongly disagreed with him, he got a gun, and he shot him. Now, let's just get this out on the table. There's a real strong chance in the next couple of months I may teach something on Revelation you don't agree with. There's a way we can work through it that's better than that. Because nobody's interpretation of Revelation is 100% correct. And so, if the book can be confusing and if we know it's controversial, why bother? 
Why should we study Revelation? I'll give you two reasons. Number one, it's in the Bible. And that's a good reason. If it's in the Bible, I think we're supposed to read it. In fact, someday you're going to be in heaven. And you're going to meet John. And if he asks you, well, what did you think of my last book? You don't want to say, well, I never read it. Look with me at verse 3 of the first chapter. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. You see, the second reason you want to read Revelation and study Revelation is because it promises you a blessing if you do. Notice, it didn't say blessed are you if you totally, completely understand it. It just says, blessed are you if you read it. And if you take to heart what you do understand. In fact, did you know it is the only book in the Bible that specifically promises you a blessing if you'll read it. This book was not meant to scare people or to confuse people. It was meant to bless and encourage followers of Jesus. And I am convinced, regardless of where we land on the different views and interpretations, I'm convinced the Holy Spirit can lead all of us to get a blessing from this book. And the first place I think the Spirit will lead us is to understand the context and the times of its writings. So in chapter 1, verse 9, we read, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now, when you get a letter from your pastor who's in jail and he calls himself a companion in suffering and he says, I'm calling you to patient endurance. It doesn't take a scholar to realize time's are hard. And nowhere in the book does John say the reason I'm writing is to tell you to cheer up because it's about to get a whole lot better. It's like the story I heard of the young uh, preacher who stood up one Sunday and said to his church, I have heard the call of God. I'm leaving to go to a new church. And at the end of the service, he's shaking the hands of the people at the back door. And one sweet old lady comes up and she's got tears coming down her face. And she grabs his hand and says, I'm so sorry you're leaving. And he says, that's so kind. But I'm sure God is going to bring you a pastor even better than me. And she shakes her head and says, that's what they all say. But they just keep getting worse and worse. <laughs> and that's what John is saying. That it's not about to get better, so you better buckle up. Because the fastest growing religion in the first century was not Christianity. It was emperor worship. Now typically when a Caesar would die, the Senate would declare him a god and they'd build temples in his honor. But Domitian is now the emperor. It's the last part of the century 
And Domitian has sent out word while he is alive that he wants to be called a god. And there were agents of the government called the imperial cult that would go out throughout the empire. And at appointed times and places, you were expected to show up and say, Caesar is Lord. Now, this is not about religion. It's about politics. Rome knows if we're going to keep the empire together, it takes more than guns. It takes faith. So they want you at an appointed time to announce your allegiance to the empire by saying Caesar is Lord. Now, they don't care if you have a lot of other gods and you go to a lot of other temples. They don't even really care if you believe it. They just need you to publicly declare it. And it's not a problem for most people. But it's a huge problem for Christians. Because they're not willing to put Jesus on the menu of the options of gods you can honor. And so John writes, and he's going to say over and over again, it's coming. And if you're going to call Jesus Lord, you better be prepared to be faithful unto death. Now, right off the bat, I'm going to give you a hint of how I read Revelation. To really appreciate this book, you've got to read it through the lens of people who are oppressed. And who live in a government where you can be arrested or even killed for calling Jesus Lord. Most of the popular interpretations of Revelation today have been written in the West by people that weren't persecuted... And when you take those interpretations to persecuted peoples in the world today, they shake their heads and say, what are you reading? You've got to see this book through the ears and the eyes of people that are in a serious crisis. See, I don't believe the book was written to speculate about what might happen in world events centuries and centuries later. I believe the primary purpose of this book was to help very real Christians in very real churches that were in a present crisis. Because John knows that when the pressure gets intense, so does the temptation to compromise. And if you live under a power or an empire that is telling you What you have to say or else. You've got two choices. Face persecution or justify accommodation. Because whenever suffering becomes more probable, seduction becomes more possible. And if you remember our series on the seven churches, you see it happening There are some churches like Smyrna and Philadelphia, and they're not going to bow. And they're not going to say Caesar is Lord, and they are paying a price. And then you have churches like Sardis and Laodicea that are selling out. And John knows that some of these churches are pulling 
back from absolute loyalty to Jesus Christ. And so Jesus gives John a vision to give to them. And what Jesus does is he pulls back the curtain. That's what revelation means, the unveiling. And he lets the church see a reality that is behind their reality. And so listen, starting in verse 4, at what they began to see. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who always was and who is still to come and from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. Now he is the faithful witness to these things. The first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. And all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was. And who is still to come, the Almighty One. And so the curtain is pulled back. And Jesus is on the stage. Do you know what the theme of the book is? The first five words. The revelation of Jesus Christ. This is what the oppressed, persecuted church. This is what the accommodating, compromised, selling out church needs more than anything. To get a new look at who Jesus is. So I'm just telling you, in the coming weeks, prepare to get a big dose of Jesus. Because the clearer you see Jesus, the clearer you see which path is the path to blessing and which is the path to death. Because here's the thing about the book of Revelation. It is intended to be polarizing. John doesn't dabble in gray. It is black or white. And here's why. Because in John's mind, everyone makes a choice. You are being called in this book to declare your allegiance either to a heavenly kingdom or to an earthly empire. And so John sets these very radical distinctions. There is a bride and there is a harlot. There is a lamb and there is a dragon. And most of all in Revelation, there are two cities and you've got to decide which one you're going to live in because you don't get to have dual citizenship. There is Babylon. And Babylon in Revelation means Rome, but it means more than Rome. Babylon means whatever empire is running the world and telling you how to live. There is Babylon. And there is the new Jerusalem. And you have got to choose which city is going to be your home. 
And John doesn't pretend it's easy because if you live back in the first century, it looks to you like Rome is large and in charge. And you're asking the question, okay, if Jesus is Lord, why is Caesar calling all the shots? And aren't we essentially wrestling with the same question today? If Jesus is Lord, Why is there so much evil in this world? Why are the good people getting clobbered? And why are the wrong people always in power? And what Revelation says is that the kingdom of God is always going to be in conflict with the empires of men. Every generation has its Caesars. And there's always tension. And here's why. Because he pulls back that curtain and he says, there's a reality behind your reality. And there's a power behind the empires of men calling the shots. There's a real enemy. There's a dragon. And until he gets thrown in the lake of fire, it's going to be hard. See, Revelation doesn't promise an escape from suffering. It promises endurance through suffering. And it calls us to be faithful unto death. And why would anybody choose that? And the answer is because Jesus did. He's the example in Revelation. The number one picture of Jesus in this book is the lamb that was slain. And that bothers us. Because we, especially in the West, think happiness is an entitlement. I deserve to be happy. And if I'm not happy... I'm going to complain, I'm going to whine, and I'm going to sue somebody. And I'm going to be mad at God because I go to church and I give some money and I sing the songs. And God owes me the life I've always wanted. And if that's your mindset, the book of Revelation is going to do a job on you. Because God... Is it nearly concerned about your happiness as he is about your blessing? God would much rather give you a blessing than happiness. Because happiness is dependent on circumstances. And circumstances are always changing. Blessing isn't. You can live in blessing whether or not you get the report from the doctor you want. You can live in blessing whether or not the kids turn out the way you want. Or whether or not the job goes the way you want. You want, and you will take blessing instead of happiness if you take a look at Jesus. Listen again, starting in verse 5. Jesus is the faithful witness, the first among those raised from the dead. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's the one who loves us, who's made us free from our sins with the blood of his death. 
He made us to be a kingdom of priests who serve God as Father. To Jesus Christ be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And what the vision is saying is Jesus took Babylon's best shot. And he triumphed. And no one takes his throne. Now, here's why we get seduced. Here's why we tend to sell out and compromise and live beneath our calling. Because Babylon dupes us. And we get intimidated by Babylon. Because Babylon convinces us that she has the last word. And so the curtain is pulled back and Jesus comes on the stage and we are reminded when we take a look that that's a lie. I am the first to rise from the dead. I am the ruler of the kings of the world. I am the beginning and the end. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. And Revelation invites a church under attack to take another look at another throne. And I know I'm getting ahead of myself. But in chapters 4 and 5, we're going to get invited right into the throne room of God. And there in chapter 4, the Almighty is on the throne. And there's a scroll. And this scroll is going to let us know what's coming so that we can get ready. But nobody's worthy to open it. And John starts to cry. And then the angels say, but look, he's worthy. And he sees a lamb. A lamb who gets up there and sits right on that throne with God. And he opens that scroll. And look what happens. It says, and they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne And of the living beings and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and they sang, Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb Forever and ever. And if that doesn't give you goosebumps, you need some performance enhancing drugs. (laughs) When you get a look beyond our reality to God's reality, then you are delivered from the dominant problem of the church today, and I call it pessimillennialism. It is amazing how despairing and negative and critical we can be and how we can live our lives so hopelessly. Why? Because we just focus on this reality. And we don't see the other. And we will be blessed if we catch a vision of the absolute sovereignty of Christ and the absolute futility of Satan to oppose him or depose him. Now, does this mean we're never going to suffer? No. It means we can reign in our suffering. We can reign through our suffering and we will reign after our suffering because we know that Satan is just a dead devil walking. And one day, 
There will be hell to pay for what he has done. Revelation calls on you and me to choose a kingdom. And then it shows us which one is going to survive. And folks, it is the greatest heads up in history. If I could absolutely guarantee you that a very popular stock was about to crash, would you invest in it? Because Revelation says, Babylon then, Babylon now, every Babylon that's ever been or ever will be is going down. So why do you want to be a citizen of Babylon? And when you take a look, you will start to live like a victor instead of a victim. I'm reminded when apartheid was at its evil and ugliest in South Africa, the Reverend Desmond Tutu, the Nobel Peace Prize winner, called for a big rally against apartheid. And the government broke up the rally with soldiers. And so Tutu called all the people that showed up into St. George's Cathedral. And the soldiers came in the house of worship and lined the walls with their guns and their bayonets as he preached. And boy, did he preach. And he began to say to those soldiers, you may be powerful, very powerful, but you are not God. And God is not mocked. And you have already lost. And then, to everyone's surprise, he got down from behind that pulpit and got down on the floor. And he started to bounce up and down. And he started to smile. And he said, therefore, since you have already lost... We invite you to join the winning side. (laughs) And the crowd roared and the soldiers melted away. And the people began to dance. And if we hear this message. We're going to start to dance. Because we hear a different and a better song. My friend Randy Harris, who teaches at ACU, has the simplest and best theology of revelation I've ever heard in his three simple sentences. God wins. You must choose a team. Don't be stupid. (laughs) And it's a blessing to see this reality. And it's an imperative that we witness to it. It is the task of the church to witness to the reality of how big Jesus is. We must constantly look behind the curtain. By the way, that is one of the reasons why what we're doing right now was so important. It's one of the reasons why worshiping together is so important. Because when we worship, we're not just declaring our absolute allegiance to Jesus as Lord, but worship is an inoculation against the seduction of Babylon. Because as you and I step into the streets of our world tomorrow, we're going to hear a different song. We're going to hear different music. 
And it's going to call us to join a different team. And we need right now, and we need this. Because when we focus on Jesus, everything else comes into focus. But I can promise you, if you are not getting frequent, regular, fresh revelations of Jesus, then your discipleship is going stale. It's my conviction that for most of us, our problem is not that the pressure is too great. It's that our picture of Jesus is too small. You've got a neighbor or a co-worker that you know you need to witness to. And you don't because you are afraid of rejection. The problem is not that the pressure is too great. It's that your picture of Jesus is too puny. And you live your life in fear and worry. About your health, about your finances, about your kids. And again, it's not that our problems are so big. But we live so timidly. Because our view of Jesus is so small. And you feel just absolutely mastered by a sin. You can't get a hold of your temper. You just... You can't put the bottle down. You just can't forgive that person that hurt you so bad. You just, you can't seem to stop making that one last click that takes you one more time to that site you said you'd never go to again. And it's not that the pressure to sin is so great. It's that our picture of Jesus is so small. We live on this side of the curtain so much. And Revelation is asking you and me to do life through the lens of Jesus. To look beyond that curtain and to see Him high and lifted up for who He really is. Because we've already seen twice now Jesus say this. I love you. And I have freed you. Not just forgiven you. Freed you from your sins. And I am so willing to reveal myself to you in new and fresh and awesome ways. If you'll just take a look. Norman Rockwell, famous artist, one time did a painting called Lift Up Thine Eyes. And in the well-known drawing, you have a man putting the sign of a sermon title on a gorgeous cathedral. And above the faces of the people are the statues of saints and apostles and even Jesus in the middle on a throne. But no one can see it. Their heads are down there walking, frustrated, burdened. Heavy, dull, desperate lives. 
absolutely oblivious to a greater reality above them. My goal for this series is not to take a look at every possible way to interpret Revelation. My goal is to increase your desire and practice of taking a look at Jesus. And I want you to pray about that. I want you to pray every day while we study this book that God will help you see Jesus anew. Because someday... Every created being is going to have a revelation of Jesus Christ. But it is such a blessing. If you could have yours now. So let's pray about that. And so God, help us see Jesus. But even before that, help us want To see Jesus. Help us believe there's a reality beyond this reality. And give us God. Give us that desire to pray and to ask you to open the eyes of our hearts. So that we can see him high and lifted up. Because we believe everything will come into focus when Jesus does. He was. He is. He is to come. And more than ever, we need to see that. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. This world could use a revelation. Amen. So I'm going to ask you all now to stand. And I'm going to ask those who've been commissioned to be prayer warriors to come forward. And as we sing this next song, I'm going to ask you to respond to the Holy Spirit who's prompting you in some part of your life to draw closer to Jesus, whether that's confession and baptism, whether that's repentance, or whether that's just a request for prayer to walk more boldly in His light. This is your time to come and receive ministry while we put our eyes on Him.